Bridgeway Community Church, what a joy it is for us to worship the Lord, to lift him up and to be reminded of his, his reckless love. It is our time now to get into God's word and our series on threshold. We've talked about the only door, the open door, the shut door, and today we're going to talk about the covered door. I sure hope that as we go into God's word, his word will go in to you. Before we get started and pray, how about we play a little, a little word game? You like word games? I'm thinking of a word, and it rhymes with the word ocean. Uh, can you tell me what that word is? Maybe just put it right in the chat. It rhymes with ocean. What, what do you think? Throw it in there. And maybe some of you in the studio audience as well. It rhymes with ocean. Can you give me a word? Motion. Lotion. <laughs> I, I could use some right now. Any, 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 anything else? Emotion. Potion. Co commotion. Devotion. Really, really good words. Okay. I got my lotion on. Okay, I've, I've heard potion. I've heard devotion. I got, I got it all. Okay, can't have a black man with ashy hands, so that's, that's solved. But this word, as a, as, a, as a clue, it rhymes with ocean, and it's also in the Bible. Write it in the chat. You get it yet? Not yet. I'm going to give you one last clue. I think this one's going to do it. It rhymes with ocean, it's in the Bible, and it uses the same first letter in the word, God. There it is. It's a word that some of you may not have ever heard before, Goshen. Who knows what Goshen means? What's Goshen? Where is Goshen? Well, we're going to learn about this and several other matters as we talk about the covered door. And we're going to make our way to Exodus chapters 11 and 12. I'll open in prayer, and then we're going to go right there. If you have a copy of the scriptures or your smartphone, we'll start in Exodus 11. But first, let's pray. Now, Lord, as we go into this word, would you please teach us something that would help us learn about you, about ourselves, and even about the enemy that we might be able to be successful and victorious because we've been loved and covered by you. In the name of Jesus, together everyone says, amen and amen. Getting behind the right door is important. When it comes to living our lives, we can go into many different doors, but we can also be stopped as well. But what kind of doors do we go through that we shouldn't go through? Or what could come through our door and the doors of our life that we don't want coming through our doors? Well, it's kind of like bouncers, if you will. You know what a bouncer is? Like you go to a nightclub and there's somebody at the front. Y'all don't know anything about nightclubs. I know you're Christian people, which is great. But let's say before you were saved, you know those places you would go, those nightclubs? And they would have somebody at the front door called a what? A, a, a bouncer. They might check your ID, or uh, if there's a fight, they may kick you out. But they're the ones, before you get into the door, to sort of make sure you're allowed to be coming in. You have the right tickets, you pay the right calls, that sort of thing. 
One of my sons, Luke, is a DJ. He lives out in L.A., and he does these shows, and hundreds of people show up, and they pay tickets to hear a guy DJ. And guess what? They have bouncers. You can't just get in to hear them. You have to actually pay a ticket and, and show your ID that you're old enough. Well, guess what? In a sense, when we talk about today's covered door, it's almost like we have heavenly bouncers, The blood of Christ can legally rebuff any force that seeks to get into your life and stop it before it even enters into your world. Stop it before it even enters into your family. Like a bouncer, the Holy Spirit can just erase and stop anyone trying to protrude across the path of your life when you are covered by the blood of Christ. What I want to do is talk about three categories of conversation to help us comprehend the significance of the covered door. Three broad categories of conversation that help us comprehend the significance of the covered door. And we're going to talk about the story of the Exodus. The Exodus was that time in the scriptures, and there's actually a book named Exodus, the time in the scriptures where the Israelites were being released from the oppression of the Pharaoh who in Egypt had oppressed the Israelites for 430 years. God decided he was going to tap Moses because he heard the cry of his people and he says to Moses, I want you to go in back to where you ran from, Egypt, and I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can worship me. And so Moses and his older brother Aaron are now on this journey where God wants to speak through them to release the Israelite people who have been crying for their deliverance for a while. And the three categories of conversation, one, I want to talk around Pharaoh. The second category of conversation is around the plagues. And then the third part is around the Passover, But let's start with Pharaoh. Let's pick it up in verse 1. And when you think about Pharaoh, think about oppression. When you think about the plagues, think about judgment. When you think about the Passover, think about deliverance. So who is this oppressive person, this God king, if he were, to be called that in Egypt? Picking it up in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Now, let's just stop there so I can give you a prophetic word. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. But here it is. God is saying, Moses, you go tell him that I I got one more plague for you. And that plague's going to be so bad, he's going to let you go. And God actually says and predicts that Pharaoh will let the people go. He actually says, and I like this point, he will drive you out completely. You know, the very person that was resistant now becomes insistent. Here's an encouraging word for you. There may be some people in your life that are trying to influence you, and God will move them from resistance to insistence. The very people that were resisting you will now be the very ones to insist that you do exactly what you've been wanting to do. And what I like about the Exodus passage, you see it in a couple of places. I'm going to turn you to a couple of references, and then we'll get back to chapter 11. But in chapter 3, verse 21, this is what it says. 3, 21, it actually shows this. 
and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward these people, toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. He's resistant now. When I'm done with him, you're going to be favorably disposed, and they're even going to give you everything you were looking for. That's 321. Check out 6-1, just so you can see it again. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. The very one that said, nope, I'm not going to let you go. Nope, I'm not going to let you go. God will move him from resistance to insistence. Well, he'll actually drive you away. I don't know if anybody's been in a, a situation where uh, you were trying to get out of a situation, but you just couldn't get out. But God worked it out through your prayers to such a degree that the very people you were trying to get away from, they were now pushing you out and blessing you on the way out. That's exactly what we're seeing here. Now let's go back to chapter 11 and pick it up at verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Check out verse 6. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be, verse 7. But among the Israelites, check this out, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Wow. Goshen. Even when the firstborn of every household is killed, the Israelites will be protected in a place called Goshen, and not a dog will bark at any sound or any animal. And the silence and the peace that's happening in Goshen will show that there is a distinction between Egypt, where all of the chaos is, and Goshen, where the Israelites are. It's so peaceful, not even the dogs are barking. What a distinction. Even animals are under God's command and lordship. Picking it up at verse 8, all these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, and this is Moses, go you and all the people who follow you. This is, what, this is what Pharaoh said to Moses. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that the wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. So now God is saying, listen, he's not going to listen to you. But as a result of that, my wonders are going to be multiplied in Egypt. So you'll move from, from, they'll move from resistance to insistence. But in that time period, there's going to be a lot of time when Pharaoh is going to not do what you want him to do. Just another prophetic word, a word of encouragement to someone here today. Some people resist and refuse God's warning. However, as always, God's wonders will be seen on the earth. God's miracles will be multiplied on the earth. And even though right now it looks like you're under the gun, and even though right now it looks like it's not going your way, if you will hold on, and if you will hang in there, God's deliverance will come. His signs and his miracles will happen. Picking it up at verse 10, Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. What? In verse 10, it says the Lord 
hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, if you want him to let the people go, but you're hardening his heart, so he won't let the people go. What's going on here, Lord? I don't understand. Well, you see, you have to understand, while this is the 10th plague, after multiple warnings that God gave to Pharaoh, nine of them to be exact before this one, God allowed the resistance to turn into persistence, which was the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So you don't just move from resistance to insistence. You move from resistance to persistence. And he's persisting that he's not going to do what God is speaking to him, and he hardens his heart. And he said, but the text says that God hardened his heart. But hang on. Let me give you a couple of facts. First of all, in the first 12 chapters of this book, and we're looking at verses 11 and 12, it mentions Pharaoh's heart being hardened 18 times. Now, the first two times, it's the Lord saying that he will harden his heart. We see it in 421 and in 73. I want you to get your eyes on it just so you can see it. 421, Exodus 421. This is what it says. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Exodus 421. Now check out Exodus 7:3, just so you can get your eyes on it. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. So the first two times we see it, God says, I will harden his heart. But understand that's future tense. He already knows the future and that he's going to harden his heart later. But the first two times he's just predicting that I'm telling you because I know the future, I'm going to harden his heart. But after that, the next 10 times... It says, and we won't go through all 10 of them, but the next 10 times, if you do the study, you'll find out that Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. And it says it. He hardened his own heart. He hardened his own heart. He hardened his own heart. Pharaoh was the one hardening his heart. His resistance turned into persistence. Hard-hearted, 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 hard-hearted. And so then what? God, because he's a gentleman, remember the message on he stands at the door and he knocks? He doesn't overtake your will. So finally, after God continues to be patient, continues to tell him over and over again, let my people go, using the prophet Moses and Aaron. Finally, what does God do? Well, I said 18 times, right? So the first two times, he's predicting it. The next 10 times, Pharaoh himself hardens his heart. The last six times, it says, and God hardened his heart so he wouldn't listen. In other words, you can resist and resist and resist to a point where God finally says, okay, you can have what you want. I knocked on the door. I knocked on the door. I knocked on the door. Let me in. I stand at the door and I knock. If any man let me in, I will come in and I will sup with him. And he stands and he waits and he's hoping that you'll open your heart. But there becomes a time when he says, a couple more knocks if he doesn't come. Going to go. Have you ever called somebody and rang and rang and rang and finally you're like, a couple more rings. Then I'm going to hang up. This is God hanging up. This is what you want. Keep a hard heart. Don't want to let me in your heart. I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to break down the door. Fine. Walk away. And your heart remains callous and resistant and persistent to do what you want to do. Here's a warning, friends. 
We too need to be careful that we don't resist the movement of God's Holy Spirit in our lives so much that we get to a place where our hearts are just hard. If I can turn you to another passage, you don't have to go there, but just listen to Hebrews in the New Testament, verses 12 and 13. This is what it says. See to it, brothers, sisters included, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Verse 15, as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, referring to uh, Psalm 95 in verses 7 and 8 that talks about a time when the Israelites harden their hearts. The hard heart thing is serious. Sometimes we think God's just hardening people's hearts. No, what God is doing is he's allowing hard hearts to remain because their resistance has turned into persistence. And he finally says, you want to keep that callous heart? Then I'm going to give you free will to do what you want to do. That's why in the New Testament in Matthew 19, they say, why did you, why did you allow Moses, this Moses right here, to permit people to get divorced? And what did Jesus say? He said in Matthew 19, he said it. Because their hearts were hard, he let them do it. He's not going to say, you're going to stay married anyway because I want you to be... No, this is my design. This is my desire. But because your hearts were hard, Moses permitted divorce. Uh, so the hard heart thing means I, I'm doing what I want to do. You want to make marriages work out? Listen, I'm not an expert on this one. But I will say this. If you have two people that have hard hearts, that thing ain't going to get better. So maybe one of the things to do is pray, God, please soften his heart. God, please soften my heart. Anybody ever said, my heart's hard, Lord. I'm going to tell you now, I don't want to be with him. I don't want to be with her. I'm done with her. I'm tired with her. Look, I can go, I can live the next 20 years of my life without it, any of this. When you have two hard hearts, that thing ain't going to work. Guess what? If you have one hard heart and one soft heart, that's tough too. Because you're like, you know, I'm sorry. I want to make it work. Let's go to the counselor. I love you. I love you. Okay, let's just, I'm sorry. Water under the bridge. But the other person has a hard heart. I don't care. Ain't no water under the bridge. Bridge is out. <laughs> so it don't matter. What you going to do? So the prayer is, God, would you give us two soft hearts at the same time? That's the way you, that's what you got to pray. Because have you ever had a hard heart, but then you're tired of being angry, so your heart gets soft? And the other person's like, come on, come on, come on. We can do this. You're like, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden, your heart gets soft. Ah. And then you go, okay, I'm ready. And now their heart's hard. <laughs> it's like, what? No, no, you're too late. Forget it. I, I want to talk. I talked about that counselor for a long time. I'm done. I'm through. Like, Shoot. And it goes back and forth. The key is, God, would you please make both hearts soft at the same time so you can so you can do the work that needs to be done? Well, this is what's going on with Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a hard heart. He was resistant. He was persistent in his resistance. And God said, okay, I'm just going to stop knocking. Bye. So what do we learn so far about Pharaoh? We've learned that he was an oppressor, a God king who's not going to let the people go. Now let's talk about the plagues, the second category of the story to help us understand the significance of the covered door. You see, God heard the cry of his people, and so he sends Moses and Aaron, the older brother, to rescue the people. Now this rescue is not like a Rambo type of rescue or a Leon Neeson kind of a rescue with a special set of skills. It's not that. This is a man and his older brother with a shepherd's staff in his hand and the message of God. And he goes into Pharaoh and he says, let my people go so they can worship me. This is what the Lord says. 
And Pharaoh is like, yeah, it ain't going to happen. It's been 430 years. You're not messing with my economy, my power, my authority. Not going to happen. Moses says, okay, but water's going to turn to blood. And that was the first plague. You can find it in Exodus 7, verses 14 through 24. Water turns into blood. So now no fish, no clean water. All of the Nile is red with blood, including buckets full of water as well. He comes back a second time. Let my people go. No, nah, I'm not going to let you go. Okay, then guess what? Frogs are now going to come out the water. You go to Exodus 8, verses 1 through 15. Now you have amphibians coming out of the water. And it says in chapter 8, verse 6, and the frogs came up and covered the land. Can you imagine an entire land being covered with frogs? Especially if they're coming out of bloody water. And now they cover the land. Let my people go. Okay, you, you go ahead. And then he changes his mind. Nope, you ain't going nowhere. All right, here's the third one. Gnats. Who likes gnats at a picnic? But you go to chapter 8 and you read verses 16 through 19. This plague of the gnats. Oh, insects all over the place. Pests or pestilence all over. Just think about so many gnats that when you breathe in your mouth and up your nose, you can feel it, can't you? Can you feel it at home? Yeah. Gnats, gnats, gnats all over the place. Okay, stop this, stop this, stop this, Pharaoh says. And, okay, you're good now? You can go. And then after it's all done and Moses calls it off, nah, just kidding. Y'all can't go. Okay. Number four. Plague number four. All right. Flies. This is how we go from bloody water, right, frogs, gnats. Think about the gnats on top of the bloody frogs. Now flies, you know flies, what they like to do, right? They like to land on your picnic food and then get up and fly somewhere else and land on somebody else's uh, dirty skin and then fly somewhere else. You know how that works? Y'all know what it works? Okay. And you get those little fly swatters. Well, fly swatters ain't going to help you here because flies were everywhere. It says that the land was ruined in Exodus 8, verses 20 through 32. But I want you to see verse 22. So now go to Exodus 8. You've got your word. You've got your smartphone. Check out chapter 8. Verse 22. Now, when you see the plague of all the flies, it's Exodus 8, 20 through 32. I just want you to see verse 22. Here it is. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of what? Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land, and I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Did you see it? Goshen. Goshen was that place where the Israelites lived. It's, it's kind of like in Qatar or in UAE. If you've ever been there in the Middle East, very rich countries. But 85% of the people there are what they call expats or expatriates. And a large percentage of the people that live in these countries are migrant workers from other parts, like India or Bangladesh, Philippines. And so the whole country is being worked on, buildings are being constructed by, by migrant workers that are hired to come over. Now, if you and I go there as tourists or whatever, we're just enjoying the beauty. Oh my gosh, Dubai is awesome. Oh my gosh, Abu Dhabi is amazing. Wow, Qatar, where did all this money come from? You know, it's just like, wow, wow, wow. But the reason why all that's there is because of the hard work of the migrant workers. They don't live in those places. You don't see them around those hotels. Where are they? Guess where they are? They live in another place 
where they pick them up on the buses early in the day and transport them to the areas where they're building those big towers that are bending left and bending right and two are bending together and, and the lights are all up and everything. And then when they're all done working their day in that hot, hot sun, 120 degrees, they get back on the bus and they drive them back to their ghetto called Goshen. The Israelites lived in a ghetto called Goshen. Oh, they were slaves during the day and brick and straw and working hard in the midst of the Egyptian heat. But then when it was time to be done, they went back to Goshen. And there it says, while the flies were ruining the entire land, it, not so in Goshen. Okay, call it off. Done with the flies. Done with the gnats. Done with the frogs. Done with the bloody water. Done with all of it. Call it off. Y'all can go. And then it's all called off. Nah, that's all right. Forget it. Stay here. Heart and heart. So here comes the fifth plague, livestock. You can see it in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I won't go there. But now all the livestock are going to, are going to, be, are going to be killed. And you're, you're, you're focusing now on the economy, on their food. And then after that, you think that'd be enough? I mean, livestock, cattle, you think that'd be enough? Nope. Okay, so what's next? Boils. A skin disease on their bodies. You can read it in chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Everybody's on their bodies except for, for the Israelites. Boils, skin disease, leprosy. Remember Job? Boils and boils on his body. Okay, fine. Get rid of the boils. Y'all can go. Nope. No, you can't. All right. Number seven. The seventh plague. Here it is. Hail. Thunderstorms that would wipe out everything. Everything. Everything that the flies didn't wipe out and the frogs didn't wipe out, now a thunderstorm's going to come through like a hurricane and wipe out everything. We're now in Exodus chapter 9. I just want you to see your, put your eyes on verse 19 because you're going to see it here again. Verse 19. Now we're in chapter 9. All right. And check out verse 19. Let's get there. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field. They would die. He's talking to his people saying this hailstorm's coming, but you can bring everything in a place of shelter. Hello, Goshen. Verse 26, that same chapter. All right. So you're in chapter nine. Look at verse 26. This is what it says. The only place it did not hail, think about it, thunderstorms all over. The only place it did not hail was the land of what? Goshen, where the Israelites were. Are you picking this up? Are you seeing what's happening here? We're seeing that even though all this is happening in the land, God has a way of protecting his people, but yet Pharaoh still wants to be oppressive. So God is bringing this judgment on Pharaoh and he's lost a lot already when you begin to see it, but not enough. And so what is God doing? God is saying, okay, let's kick it up a notch. And then he gets to the eighth plague. Here it is. Locusts. You can read it on your own. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 20, the destruction of all the vegetation and the food. In chapter 10, verse 5, it says this, they will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. That's how many locusts. So many locusts that carpeted the land that you couldn't even see the land. 
and it destroyed all the vegetation and food that was left after, after the hail. In that same chapter, chapter 10, verse 15, they covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the green on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Wow. So, I mean, Pharaoh, everything's being destroyed. Just let the people go. But man, that heart, 10 times, hardened his heart. Finally, God's like, I'm going to let you keep resisting and keep persisting, but it's going to get worse. Sometimes God doesn't really have to judge you. All he has to do is let the consequences of your own behavior take you out. And then you're crying, mercy, mercy, mercy. Okay, Lord, okay, jeez. God, like, doesn't even have to judge you. Just got to let you live. Resist it to him. And your own decisions. Anybody been there? Can I get an amen? Yeah, just put amen in the chat. Say, yep, that's me. That's me. Yep, that's me. If you're being honest, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, that's the eighth one. Now let's get to the ninth one. Okay, remember, we started with him saying every firstborn. But what I want you to see is that God doesn't just go for the jugular. God's working. God's, God's trying to be patient. But now he's going to kick it up a notch and you get to number nine, darkness. Three days of darkness. But guess where there was light? A place called Goshen. Think about it. In fact, I'll just read you one verse. We're in chapter 10, verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness did what? Covered. All of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet, all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Isn't that something? The whole land was dark. People couldn't even see each other except there was one place. It says, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Wow. Maybe that's why they called them the Israelites. <laughs> that was so dumb. Okay, let me keep moving. But you see what I'm saying? God, God's like, okay, it's dark all over the place. But in this place they see there's, there's light over there with Israel. It's like the only bright and shining star. It's like the only city set on a hill. It's like the only place where there's light. But so dark here, we're, we're bumping into each other. But there's light over yon. Is that Goshen? For three days, can you, can you think of any other time when there was complete darkness? Three days, but yet the light broke through. Hmm. Crucified. Put in the grave. Three days and three nights, but on, on the third day, the light broke through. Surely this would be enough for for Pharaoh, no more plagues. But his heart was so hard, guess what? God now had to go to the last and final plague. Are we ready for the last one? Because this is the worst of all. I don't like it. I don't glory in it. But because of the great oppression and because of the great cries of his people for over four centuries, we now go to the death of the firstborn sons. You got to understand, though, it started with the water, then it moved to the land, 
Then it moved to the air. Then it moved to wealth, livestock, health, boils, weather, hail, locust, food, darkness, light. I mean, in all these cases, God's hitting the... The whole movement of creation, there was water and hovering over the deep. God said, let there be light. And you begin to see that from the water come the fish and then come the animals and everything you have in the garden. You can begin to see God is sort of unraveling, going back to the beginning of creation and going with the, going with the water, going with the land, going with the frogs, going with the gnats, going with the flies, going with the livestock, going with the, the, the boils, going with the thunderstorms and the weather, going with the vegetation, with the locusts, even going back to the darkness. None of it was enough to change the resistant heart. So now God has to do the worst. Death. For the wages of sin is death. But he wasn't even going to kill everybody. Thank God I wasn't God. I would have wiped them all out. Didn't do that. Just the firstborn son. That's it. And so now he's going to take out human life. You can read it on your own, chapter 11. But what I want you to notice is God's judgment is, is progressive, not impulsive. God is merciful. God is patient. God's giving warning after warning after warning after warning. Friends, he gives you and me warning after warning after warning after warning. God's judgment doesn't, listen, God's judgment doesn't, you know, the hammer is just going to come down on your life. God's been patient with some of you for 40 years, for 50 years, for 60 years. Through danger, toil, and snare. Through fires, through floods. God has spoken to you through the wind, through the waves, through the earthquakes, through people, through churches, through hymns. But what God wants us to see is that it begins with the blood and it ends with the blood. The very first plague was about blood, and now the very last plague is about blood. And what God wants us to see, it's not just about Pharaoh, it's not just about the plagues, but the third category of conversation is where it culminates. It's about the Passover. And what God is now saying is, listen, I'm going to tell you something, that every firstborn son in the Egyptian household is going to be killed. But because you're in Goshen, because you're in God, because you are covered, the blood of the lamb will be your bouncer to keep the destroying angel from coming into your house and destroying that which you love. And that's when you move into chapter 12. And in verse 3, he says, tell the whole community of Israel. That on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. <laughs> I will share with you. Community care. Corporate responsibility. If you have too much lamb and you can't eat it all, find somebody that, that needs, needs it because we want to make sure that everybody eats tonight. Verse 7, we're in chapter 12. Then they are to take some blood, some of the blood, and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And so he's saying, this is the time it's going to happen. Eat all the lamb up. Share it, make sure everybody has it. 
slaughter one, and I want you to take the blood, the blood of the lamb. And what I want you to do is I want you to paint the sides of the door frames. with the blood of the lamb. Then I want you to close that door and lock it and you don't come out until I tell you because it's about to get nasty out there. And in this world, it's about to get nasty out there. You think it's bad now when the judgment of God comes to hit the earth? It's going to get nasty out there. But if you're in God, if you're in Goshen, you might hear it, you might see it, you might shake in your boots a little bit because you hear so much going on around you, but he tells him to paint the door and you get to verse 12 of chapter 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of that blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will, what? See the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will permit the destroyer. He will not permit the destroyer. That may be the, the death angel. So it says he's doing it, but he has the destroyer, someone on his behalf. That death angel, he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night for there was not a house without someone dead. There was not a house without someone dead. It says that the death angel, the destroyer, would go to an Egyptian house, death. Another Egyptian house, death. Another Egyptian house, death. Another Egyptian house, death. And he would see another, oh, and it says that he would see the blood of the lamb and he would pass over and the destroyer would go to another place and another place. You see, friends, when 
the blood of Jesus Christ because this is just a type. This is just a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, cleanses us of our sins, covers us. So when death comes, when the enemy comes, our home can be passed over. The beauty of being covered by the blood of Christ is that no matter what happens in Egypt, as long as you're in Goshen, protected by the blood of the Lamb, as long as you're behind the covered door, the angels, may they be commanded concerning you to protect you, to walk where you walk, to stand before the door of your life, to stand before your family, before your sons, before your daughters. May he be the Holy Spirit bouncer and the blood of the lamb whenever that which is evil comes against you. There is a bouncer in heaven that says you better go to another house because the angels have been assigned to this life, to this generation, to your grandson, your granddaughter, to your family members. No disease is going to come. No pestilence is going to hit you. There's a lot going on out there in Egypt, but as long as you're behind the covered door, there is a bouncer named Jesus Christ and the blood of the lamb is going to protect you and cover you. So fear not for the Lord thy God is with you. Amen and amen. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Practically speaking, one of the things that you can do is apply the blood of Jesus to your life by inviting him in to be your Lord and Savior. When you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he forgives you of, his sin, of your sins, cleanses you from all unrighteousness, and most of all, he guarantees you eternal life and that you will never die eternally. Physical death will happen to all of us human beings, but eternal death you will not experience because you will be covered by the blood of Christ. When God sees you, he sees his son. So one of the practical applications today is to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. You can do that through a prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. I invite you to come into my life. I open the door of my heart. I want you to come in. And Lord, I want to walk with you. Pray that prayer. And if you do it with a sincere heart, even now, God will save your soul and a brand new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will guide you through the rest of your life as you follow his teachings and as you walk with him. Now, many people have already done this. Well, you need to plead the blood of Christ in your life. You've already had Christ in your life. You have the power over death. You're good like that. But some people don't know what it means to plead the blood of Christ. They think it's only for charismatic Pentecostal Christians pleading blood over everything. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. Pleading simply means you declare. We do it in courts all the time. What's your plea? It just means to declare. I declare this. Now, declarations all over the Bible. So when you declare the blood of Christ covering you, when you plead the blood of Christ over you, what you're saying is I declare that I stand behind the covered door. 
This is where Revelation 12, 11 comes in. It says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. Speak and declare what is true about you and what is true about your faith. I wanna end by showing you a picture and then I'll turn it over back to our host, Pastor Jared. Check out this picture when we were going to Eastern Europe. We went to Romania to minister to some uh, refugees, right? And these refugees were on the run for their lives. And this one woman, her name is Anna. This was her home. And I don't know if you can see it, but there's a missile in her backyard. She showed me this on her phone after she had shown it to one of the teammates. A teammate came over to me and says, you got to see this. I told her, God is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in trouble. And she says, I know, check this picture out. She goes, this is my yard. And a missile hit my backyard, but it did not explode. Talk about Goshen. Now, what I want you to see, and you may not be able to zoom it in your TV or on your phone or even here in the house, but do you see what's in the background behind the unexploded missile? cross of Jesus Christ. I pray that this picture would remind you that no matter what war, no matter what bombs, no matter what explosions are going off in Egypt, as long as you're behind God and in Goshen and covered by the blood of the lamb, he can protect you even in the midst of a chaotic world. So friends, be still and know that I am God. And Heavenly Father, as we end today's service, we just pray that many would be encouraged because they're standing behind the covered door. Thank you, God, for being our heavenly bouncer. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.